0: Knox Game Design, August 2020, BBS Games, VT100, and ANSI Graphics. Welcome everyone to Knox Game Design for August 2020. This is a monthly review of game development topics. My name is Levi Smith, and I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So this month's topic is BBS games, VT100, and ANSI graphics. So first of all, I'll talk a little bit about modems. A modem is a piece of hardware that you would use to connect to a BBS. Uh, There are very different speeds of modems. Uh, The first modem that I had was a 14.4K modem, which I have back here. Let me switch back. So this was a Hayes zoom modem right here and it would have different lights on the front that would blink as you connect and it sent data back, back and forth and by the way modem stands for modulator demodulator uh, one thing that I've always been curious about is how the modem actually uh, communicated with the remote uh, system you can see back here you had a parallel port that you could plug a parallel cable into and then you'd plug the other end into your computer then it had two uh inputs right here one for going from your wall from the outside into your modem and then you could plug another phone into here so yeah, i never really understood how it actually made that connection that's something i'll probably look into one of these days like it did it did it convert the static sound whenever your modem connected to a remote server you'd hear the static sound and the ringing and the beeps and everything, so that'd be kind of interesting to look into. Uh, The second modem that I had was a 28.8 modem, and I I don't know where it is, but my third modem was a 33K. This was also a Zoom Haze Zoom modem, so it looks kind of like the other one. You had a button here that you could press to turn it on and off. And this also had, this is my parallel cable, plugged into the back, so it looks a lot like the other one. And then, my last modem was a 56K modem, which I don't know where it is either, but uh, 56K was kind of the speed limit. Once they got to 56K, they didn't make modems any faster. That's when you started getting into the cable modems and broadband and things like that. Uh, I remember one protocol whenever I connected to a BBS. So BBS is a bulletin board system. It was kind of like the precursor to the Internet where you could dial in, and these bulletin board systems had things like chat rooms, uh, file download areas, uh, door games, which I'll talk about in a little bit, and and other cool things like that. Uh, So when you connected, you used this thing called Peach. PPP protocol, point-to-point protocol. I think there was another protocol which I don't remember what it was. But when you try to down, when you need to download files from a BBS, there's various different protocols that you can use. The three that I remember are X modem, Z modem, and Kermit. I, I remember there was a lot of other ones too, but I think I typically use Z modem. Seems like that was the fastest. Um, another uh, feature on some BBSs, uh, the BBS that I use quite a bit when I was a teenager in Atlanta, it was called Index BBS, and it had 64 lines, which was really cool. Most BBSs at the time only had one or two lines, and whenever you called into a BBS, it tied up both your phone line and the phone line on the other system, so... A lot of BBSs only had one or two lines, and there's also, on many BBSs, a limit of how much time that you could spend on there. So typically it was about an hour. A lot of BBSs had subscription uh, that you could pay into, so you could extend the amount of time that you could be on the BBS. but yeah, if you're on your modem and somebody picked up the phone in the other room and they're on the same line, then they would hear the staticky sound, I guess is the modem connected and communicating with the remote server, and that would typically knock you off the BBS and make you disconnect. So, um frequently you'd see the message, no carrier, which meant that either your system, I think it typically meant the remote system dropped your connection. So it's always a bad sign when you're like really far into a download or in the middle of a game and you'd see that no carrier and it seems like that was always a a dreadful sign right there. So BBS games, uh, so I kind of see these as the precursors to the MMOs. Uh, there was also another type of uh, game called a MUD, which is a multi-user dungeon. I remember playing one a little bit called Major MUD, but I typically played uh, one called Legend of the Red Dragon. It had things like, oh, you could gain experience. It's kind of like Dragon Warrior Final Fantasy, just without the real-time graphics is all text-based and uh is just one action at a time Uh, but yeah you had your experience your strength your intellect and then you could get gold go out and fight enemies uh, and you would try to level up through the leveling system you get armor and things like that and you could also fight against other players as well which was kind of i don't know Uh, Nothing like I had ever seen at the time Because I came from a Nintendo NES console background So to be able to play a game against other people in the area Which was really cool to me Um, So the BBS software back then Was things like Wildcat Uh, Renegade, I remember that was the free BBS software, and Index ran on TBBS, which was, I think, 64 lines. It could handle more lines than any other BBS software. Now, there are still BBSs around today, but they're internet BBSs, which you can connect to using a telnet program like PuTTY, or even the command line uh, Windows DOS-style interface. Um, So, yeah, I played a lot of door games back in the Mid '90s. I don't know what Door actually stood for. I think it was just kind of like an external application that ran on the uh, aside the BBS software. Like I said earlier, most of these BBS games had text-based graphics and ANSI. Uh, I forget exactly what ANSI stand uh, ANSI stands for. I know ASCII is America. American Standard Characters for Information Interchange. But ANSI kind of had a few additional characters outside of ASCII, uh, which you could use to make pretty neat-looking graphics, uh, blocky-style graphics. So most games, due to that limitation, it had a limited number of turns a day, so you could play, like, in maybe 20 turns a day, or you maybe had so many moves that you could make each day. So here's two of the games that I played a lot in the late 90s. Uh, Legend of the Red Dragon, call, also called Lord. Uh, one cool thing about Legend of the Red Dragon is that it had what was called IGM, which stood for Inter-Game Modules. So you had the base Lord game. And oh, by the way, this was created by Seth Abel Robinson, who... Has participated and helped out with Ludum Dare, and and I've communicated with them every now and then, which I think is pretty cool. Be able to uh, talk with the person or uh, communicate with the guy, the game that you played years and years ago. And the other game that I played a lot was Trade Wars 2002. So it was more of a space style game. You had a button, and I'll talk about it a little bit more in a little bit. So this is what Legend of the Red Dragon looked like. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you had a limited number of fights each day, you could attack other players, uh, they had an inn where you could actually stay at the inn, and then if you, uh, it made it harder for people to attack you while you were offline, I think they had to pay more gold, otherwise if you just uh, quit in the middle of the field, then anybody could attack you at any time. Um, it had a leveling system where you had trainers and you had to fight the trainers to gain a level to increase your stats. And you could buy weapons and armor in the armor shop and, and the and, uh, and the weapon shop as well. It had a bank where you could deposit some of your money so if somebody attacks you, you don't lose all your money. You could see all the other people playing. Oh, and one cool thing about this game that you didn't see anywhere else is... It had a uh, romance-type system in it, so you could actually get married to other players and things like that. Or I think there was a uh, Griselda or somebody in the end, so you could flirt, and as you built more charisma, you could get uh, higher levels of things that you could do to flirt with, with the different characters, which I thought was pretty cool back in the time. So... The other game that I played a lot was called Trade Wars 2002, and basically the premise was you're in space, and you had a limited number of holds on your ship. You could actually buy new ships and upgrade your ships at the Stardock, but the objective was to go around this graph of different sectors in the universe, and typically on most games there were 2,000 sectors. They weren't sequential, they're just all random numbers as you can see here. On the screen right here so all these sectors were connected and what you try to do is find like a, a deep hole where it's kind of like a one-way dead end then you would create your base uh, in that tunnel at the end of that tunnel then you could put fighters around it and you could build up your planets upgrade your planets I think there was like some sort of photon missile or something you could equip your planet with it had like a command center or a temple or something like that so it was a really cool game and it's cool because You could run into other people playing at the same time, or they may be offline. You could find somebody's sector, and you could attack it. But generally, most of the time, while playing Trade Wars 2002, you would find ports in the various sectors. And there was three types of different resources, which you can see on the screen here, which are fuel ore, organics, and equipment. So you would try to buy these resources at the ports at a low price, then find another port that would buy it and sell it at a high price. So typically you wanted to find two sectors next to each other where you could buy from one and sell to the other real fast and just jump between the two. That way you could make a lot of money for a limited uh, number of turns. Uh, You could also generate these resources on the planets themselves. So you could lift off from a planet and then take it and sell it that way too. Uh, you could have multiple planets in a sector. I think you're limited to like five. And there were different planet types. I think there was five different, five or six different types. But there's only like two actually good planets. I think it was the Earth type and the mountainous type. And they had, each planet type had a different uh, uh, production rate for the different resources. Uh, so one might be really good at creating organics. And another one might be good for fuel ore. But the problem is with a lot of the planets is your colonists on the planets, uh, would frequently die unless you had a mountainous type or an earth type. So, uh... There's also, I think, Terra in Sector 1, and typically you'd go to Sector 1 and pick people up. and It's kind of like a colonization-type theme, and you'd try to drop them off on your planet. I think the planet would naturally generate colonists or, a, a, as well. And you also had fighters. Fighters are basically like ships or whatever little small ships that you can use. And you can generate them on your planet, or you can use those ships, fighters on your ships to attack other players or attack other planets. There's also a starport at, port in the middle of the graph, and that's where you'd buy your new ships, uh, things like that. Um, I remember there was like a grizzled trader where you could get like information on other players or try to figure out where they were. I can't remember all the details of it, but uh, I remember the starport was a cool place to hang out. Uh, and there was like fed space, so you, you wouldn't be able to attack people in that federation space. Um, but yeah, you can see here where you work between the different sectors. The ones that were in this light cyan cyan color, those are ones that you, I believe, visited. And the ones that were in red are the ones that you haven't been to before. So I was talking about BBSs and BBS lists. Uh, one good side is the Telnet BBS Guide at telnetbbsguide.com. And you can go there and find a lot of cool... Online BBSs that still run a lot of these games today Uh, And I typically use putty Connect when I connect to these so I'm gonna try to connect to one right now I don't know how well this will go, but I found one called sea breeze I just picked this set from random so you can see here like it's all text-based and everything so I already created a Player think I was command on this one see if I don't remember my password. Okay. So typically when you log into a BBS, you get all of this uh, system messages. And yeah, there's flashing text, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But typically you just press continue to get through all this. they're in nonstop. You can have mail messages. This isn't like email. It's like system level mail. Some BBS has had... Uh, mail that you could send out to the internet, but typically your mail was limited to that system. And one thing you'll frequently see on BBSs is SizeOp. That stands for System admin, oper, system Operator. Uh, there's actually a BBS game called Virtual SizeOp, which was pretty cool where you could buy modems and, and create your own BBS. It's kind of like a game-in-a-game game type, th- uh, like a meta-type game. <laughs> You're on a BBS making BBS, new BBSs. Um, Go ahead and exit. So let's continue. And just cool little messages. So here's an example of some ANSI graphics right here. It looks like this was out of Legend of the Red Dragon right there. So you can see their command. So I'm going to continue. And here's like a main menu for a BBS where you got your chat rooms. And, and uh, this one has something called Picture Grounds where you can view ANSI graphics like. Uh, A House at Christmas if you really like antsy graphics. I think there's one on here that's like a Ninja Turtle, yeah, 24 you can see a Ninja Turtle right there or let's see here Uh, see what Elvis is Uh, there's Elvis right there (laughs) Uh, but yeah we came here to look at the game so you can go to Y Game Collection no that's not it Continue, see if it's online games. Okay, so we want to go to uh RPG games F. Go to Legend of the Red Dragon. Just play a game one. So there's some more ANSI graphics. So yeah, you enter the realm. Oh, somebody attacked me. So there's some of my stats like experience and level, forest fights. So, typically, you do a question mark and see the main menu there. Go to the forest and you look for something to kill and you can attack. So, I killed a small bear. Look for something to attack. I got damaged. Try not to get killed. (laughs) You go to the end, or no, not the end. You go to the healer's hut and heal all your hit points. I think you can press V to view your stats. So, once I get to 100, Okay, so there's a special event. So every time you look for something to kill, then something, random events could happen. So yeah, let's ask for a blessing. I got 10 experience. Yay! Look, attack, attack, attack. So typically you want to type V to see. So I'm up to 95 experience. V. So I'm at 100 experience now. So I'm going to go back, healer's hut, heal all possible. So now I want to go to Turgen's warrior training, and I want to question. And so he says, okay, I'm ready to attack the master. Uh, so I can do a death knight attack. Oh, no, I can't do a death knight attack in the tra- trainer's flight. Attack, attack, attack. Oh, I've beat Halder. The first on now I'm level two. So you have to beat the master to go up. So if I question the next master, then I need three hundred more points. So I can get a heal or oh uh, So after you do the fight with the 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 master, then he refills your health. But yeah, it's a pretty cool game. Um, it's going to show off like if you go to O for other places. Then here are the inner game modules. I'm not going to mess around with this. Let's see if I can just exit out of that. Quit out of that. Press P to see who's on right now. So it's just me. Um, you can see who's married yet. Go to the end. Like one thing, uh, Violet, that's the woman. So you can press F to flirt with Violet. So you have different things you can do wink or kiss her hands. So I'll just wink. And I uh, receive 10 experience. So you can go all the way up to it, getting married. And I think only one person could be married to Violet at a time. I remember there was something about Jenny. Jenny Garth as a cheat code. I forget if you have to be in the forest. J, Yeah, you just type J. What is that? Some special trick or something? Oh, at the intro screen. Can I type J here? Not here. So it must be on the... The main screen. I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I played this. But uh, yeah, that's about it. You know, slaughter other players. Nobody else. List warriors in the field. I'm the only one out here. So that's pretty much Legend of the Red Dragon. So I'm going to go back and go back. Then we'll go to Space Battle Games and go to Trade Wars 2002, command, go to the first one, so here's Trade Wars, play Trade Wars, and I don't want to see the log, this one requires another password, mm, I received the experience point, so it's, on this one I land on my planet, see all the colonists on the planet, and the products, so I could actually load this up. Uh, take all products. You took one of equipment, okay. You blast off. There's a way to see, like, the global game stats. Is it V, yeah, so the Stardock is in 1375, so I'm typing 1375, That can warp to the Stardock. <clears throat> so this autopilot will engage and take you right there. And as along the way, you can dock at the port, so I don't want to stop at that one because it's all sell. This one's sell buy buy, so I can actually port at this one and trade. And I want to sell some organics. You can use the default value, but the real objective of this game is to make it a little bit higher than what uh, they're buying them for, and then when you sell them, when you buy from them, you want to make it a little bit lower. So I want to sell one. So let's say 130. Then, if you're uh, really good at trading, then then you'll get a little bit of experience. So, so I went 80. He says 98. Let's do 85. Let's do 95. So I don't want to shut down. But if you go, if you buy and trade long enough, they'll just give up on you. I think usually three times, and and it's then you're usually done. So there's this is the Fed space right here. You can port at the Stardock, land on Stardock, and that's where it is right there. And yeah, you got some. You got the Cineplex, Vulcan Thunder, pay hundred. So they got these little ANSI graphic type things you can see here. But uh, the real point of coming here is to go to the shipyards. And then here's where you can buy a new ship. So, you want to trade in the old ship? Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to sell my ship until I buy a new one. <laughs> buy a new ship. No. Ready to deal? Yes. Which are you interested in? So, like the best one was the Imperial Starship, which I can't. Seems like the mule was actually pretty good. So, let's blast off of here and then go to computer and then you can view ship catalog. And I think this was pretty cool back in the time. So, you can see the. So, there's like a merchant freighter, which is a pretty good starting ship. Uh, Imperial Starship. So, that actually, the ANSI graphics were actually pretty. Cool at the time for a uh, text-based game. Interdector Cruiser. uh Tuholi and Sentinel. Constellation. Starmaster. There's one of these that kind of look like a uh, ship from Wing Commander. Missile Frigate. I think there's also enemy ships, too. like The Ferengi. Battleship, that might be the one that I'm thinking of. Corporate flagship, corporate flagship was good too. Colonial transport, cargo train, train, train. Uh, Havoc Gunstar, uh, Master. See if it has the enemy ship. So you have your different classes. Good for. Tra- I think you could either be good or evil if you want evil doing bad things then uh the the space cops would try to kill you um but i thought there was enemy ships too but i don't see that there's an alien trader rank titles yeah there's let's be cpu characters there but yeah tons of stuff to do in this game um You had beacons that you could shoot out and explore the universe. And if your beacon got blown up, then you knew that it was probably an enemy's or another player's base um, and things like that. But yeah, pretty cool game right here. Go ahead and quit out of this. Exit. Quit. So let me go back to the presentation. So I talked a little bit about ANSI graphics. So ANSI graphics—they used what's called extended IBM characters, which were above the standard 128 ASCII characters. So you can make some pretty cool things. Like in my one of my Xbox Live Indie Games, I actually use this program called Acid Draw, and Acid Draw was used to create ANSI files for a lot of BBS games. But I used it to create graphics for my Xbox Live Indie Game on the Xbox 360 game. So, and I just. Use used like a screen paste right there and copied the character out. So let's see if I can get acid draw running. Okay, so i got DOS box running here. So I'm going to mount D to my D drive. You go to D. Then I have tools and acid draw, acid draw. Yeah, so this was pretty cool. You could press escape to change your background color and your foreground color. Then you could just like come up here and like type text if you just want text, or you could use your function keys to like draw different. Like, if I want to draw a box, I'd use one, and then let's say five, and then F2, and then I could do six and then spaces, and a six, and then make the bottom corner, do an F3, and a five, and a F4, so you can make like a little box like that. Or you can press Control to change the characters that you're using. So yeah, we can change the color like a light cyan on a dark cyan. See your control. Okay, so it's it's alt, so I can use alt and then a function key, and then I can make cool graphics like this. Seven, then like a, a line going over. Oh a lot of times you see like these characters like this, so you can kind of make a gradient type shading type deal with these. I think they're like IBM extended ASCII characters. Then you had like your smiley faces and and your poker s- symbols. So yeah, I've made a whole game using these little characters. You had like arrows, up arrows, and down arrows, and things like that, but yeah. This is acid draw, so if you wanna make some ANSI graphics, then you can use Control-S, or Alt-S? Yeah, Alt-S to save out in ANSI format. You have some options, like my new, save it out as my new ANSI.ANS. So, yeah, we can go to File, Open, go to our D drive, then look in Tools, Acid Draw, then My New ANS. So, yeah, you can see all the zoom into this you can see actually the code for that ANSI right here. So there's a lot of escape sequences and numbers and things like that, which I'll talk about here in a little bit. So yeah, here's the, so those codes that you just saw, they're called VT100 codes. So as a way to add color and different properties to text through a terminal that supports VT100 emulation, such as PuTTY or the, uh, you can actually use Telnet from the command prompt like type in CMD, then Telnet. But you have to enable this. You have to enable this uh, Telnet in your Windows uh, settings. So typical color code, you use this. It looks like a a caret and then uh, open square bracket, but it's actually this escape character, which is int 27 or 27 in decimal, which I have down here. So you send that character, then another, or actually it's just a single square bracket, and then you give it a number for the bright toggle whether the foreground color is bright or not, like bright cyan or dark cyan. Then a semicolon, then the foreground color, the background color, and then a lowercase m. If you want to move the cursor around on the screen, then you use that escape, square bracket, then the number of spaces to move as an integer, then A to move up, or capital B to move down, capital C to move right, and capital D to move left. And if you just want to reset everything and do the escape character, open square bracket, and a zero M, there's actually quite a few references out there for these VT100 codes. Those are the ones that you typically see, especially for ANSI graphics. But you can see here there's plenty of different vt100 codes that you can use. Now I'm not sure if all of these are supported by all uh, all terminals. I know one was like escape 5 which makes text blinking so maybe not all terminals support the blinking text. I know you can turn that on and off in PuTTY. Uh, One quick tip if you are using PuTTY And if you have some ANSI graphics that ask you, is this blinking, say yes, whether it's blinking or not. Otherwise, you get put into a monochrome mode, which isn't fun. Here's some more VT100 escape codes right here. Like I was saying, I don't know if all these are always supported by all terminal programs, but... You can try them out if you want to and see if they work or not. And here's one more down here. So yeah, all of these links are in the slides. I'll also probably post them as, as, as notes in the post. Let's go back. So you can see here, cursor up and down like I talked about before. A lot of different codes and here's some of the color codes down here that I was talking about. Typically you have uh, seven colors black, red, green, yellow, blue, magenta, cyan, and white. Then they kind of repeat with a, a, a higher level of brightness after that. So yeah here's the VT100 color codes. So the foreground colors are typically in the range, they're in the range of 30 to 37, starting with black and then going to blue-green. You can actually calculate with RGB values these these numbers, but uh, it's easier to just use a reference like this. And then here you can see the brightness code, so the, for the first uh, 8 is 0, and then the others are 1. I think by default, it 0 is implied, so if you don't put that first number in your code, then it Assumes that it's a zero, and, uh, and then the background color is the same except for uh, it's from forty to forty-seven, uh, and there's no you, there's no brightness in the background, so the background is always one of the f- only four seven colors. So you can see here, right here, I got blue on red. So you can see the escape code. You started out with the escape square bracket zero m to clear everything out. And then I do the color code for red is escape, square bracket 34, colon 41M. Then I have the text blue on red. And then uh, then I believe this next one, I think that just clears it out, right? 37, so that's white and black. So it just kind of resets it there at the end. So if you want green on magenta, you do escape, square bracket 32, colon 45M, So that's dark green on magenta. Uh, If you want yellow on black, then you do escape, then one, then semicolon thirty three m. So if you leave off the forty value, a background value, it just assumes black. So yeah, here's a simple telnet server that I created. I was kind of proud of this. I mean, it's basically like just creating a socket, but I made this in Ruby. So, any programming, modern programming language, Ruby, Perl, or Python, they should have a library to do sockets. So, to create a simple Telnet server, all you got to do is open up a, a socket for your server. Typically, Telnet uses port 23. So, you just open up your server on port 23. You create a loop, and then you create a client connection wait for a client to connect then you just keep looping waiting for the client to do something so let's go back over to my DOS prompt here I'm gonna go to uh, actually I don't even think I need this right here I might use it here in a minute so I just want to go to my Dld Smith tools. And then go to Simple Telnet server. So I kind of did this in different, uh, different phases. So this is the first one right here. And I can it's the same code that I just showed. So basically, all this server is going to do is wait for a client to connect. It's going to print out the current server time. And then it's going to count to 10 waiting one second between each step. So what I'm going to do, so I got the server up and running right now by double-clicking it. You can see simple telnet server. Right there, let's see if I can make this bigger, edit. Oh, properties. 36, okay. So I got the server running right there. Maybe not that big. Local host load, local host. Yeah, so you can see right here, it's printing the time 109876543210. One, Let's go back to DOS. Telnet localhost. Oh, so it's just localhost. So you, here you can see closing in 1098765. You can see here, well, 321, closing the connection. Right there. Then in this, you can see we're client-connected right there. So, I'm going to close. Now let's see who's texting me. So here's the second Telnet server. Let's take a look at it. So this one's going to uh, open up my, an ANSI that I created. I'm bring it up. Here in DOSBox, mount D to D. All these Smith tools. D Acid Draw. Acid Draw. So I'm gonna load. Do an Alt L to load. Then I can go to. I think hello. That's not it. My new ants What was it? Test. Ans. Where is it? Oh, it's in the server directory. Tools. Then. Simple server, so all this has the 8.3 format. So you got it. You got the tilde's and everything. So test. Yeah. So this is my blue on red, green on magenta, cyan on brown, and all that. So we got our second server running. So I'm going to go to Putty, localhost, load, open. So yeah. So now it's uh printing my message blue on red green on magenta and then it's also doing the countdown right here then it just closes after it gets down to one that's what it's doing right there so basically we load in we read that ANS file in read mode thankfully Ruby makes it pretty easy to read in a text file and one thing you gotta be careful about when you're doing terminal programming, in most regular program, console Windows-based programs, you do a backslash in to make your cursor go down to the next line. On a terminal, you gotta make it go to the next line. And then you also have to do a carriage return, which is a backslash R. So in this, you gotta convert all the backslash ends to a backslash in, backslash r. Uh, so that's when sometimes you see a carriage return and line feed. That's what it does. It's kind of like an old school typewriter. If people are familiar with those, you could press return, then it would go down a line. But then the really old ones, you had to like knock the, the thing back to make it go back to the beginning. So that's what a, a carriage return. That's the difference between a carriage return and a line feed. Line feed's going down, carriage return moves it back to the beginning. Uh, yeah, so yeah, here's where it's counting down to one right there. So let's start our third server right here. Going to edit. So we're doing the same thing. We're starting a server up on port. It's going to listen for connections on port 23. Oh, and this one is going to use the Meadows. So this is the one that I made for my ttygfx GFX adventure game. On Xbox 360. Uh, Unfortunately I don't think you can get it on Xbox 360 anymore. But I do have it on Itch.io. I think it's a dollar. If you want to play it. It's just a dollar. So here's Meadows. So I use this graphic on a lot of my websites. It's kind of like my little theme. And that's what this was created in. is, Is Acid Draw. So you can actually move it. It's kind of hard to see the cursor. But you can actually move around on this thing. And see how I made it. Which is kind of cool. So close that. So now I want to use Putty. Connect to localhost. So yeah, you can see right here. You have to tweak the font a little bit. Uh, there's some options you got. You got to watch out for. You can go to uh, change settings and then go to um, appearance, and you have to use a terminal style font. So. There's actually a site, I think I put it in, uh, the tips right here, I use AC437 IBM BIOS font. There's a site called Old School Font PC Resource. So you can go there and you can get a lot of these old fonts. Font index. And you can download them all as one package. Getting a font from this site will give you those IBM extended ASCII characters. Otherwise, it's going to look like a whole bunch of gobbledygook. And you also got to do the set translation. I think I just put it like this CP866 to display the extended ANSI characters. I, I'm not, I don't even know what that means, but I tried a few different encodings. None of them worked. But I put in that CP, like what it said right there, the CP866. Yeah, it's under translation i tried a bunch of these other isos and all that none of those worked so and that that one seemed to work right there so so the third test and for some reason it puts this putty 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 right there as input i don't know what that is if you do it through the dos prompt then it doesn't put that in there it's pushing something weird through there But yeah, with this one I made a little menu so you can see count to 10, display timer, exit. And see right here on my loop for this third server, we got it while keep looping, we're gonna accept the connection, we're gonna display the ANSI image and then display the time. Then we're gonna call display menu which basically just puts the different values right here. Um, So if I press C, Then it's going to count to 10. I'll, I'll implicitly convert the lowercase c to an uppercase c in there. Move this over to the center. Then if I do a t, then I'm going to display time c counts to 10. So we're kind of building our own little BBS Telnet server here, which is pretty cool. I looked up the Telnet standard, and it doesn't look like there's too many standard, not much of a standard to it at all. Uh, It's just like you you can do whatever you want to do. It isn't like HTTP or FTP or whatever. You're basically just opening a socket and communicating yourself. So yeah, so i got two different little modules here that's called based on whether you press C or T. So, and you can see here on the server, I'm outputting the client's input. Now, one downside to this server that I've written right here is it only accepts one connection at a time? So if I go to PuTTY and I open localhost and move this over, so I can do like T to display time. Now, if I go in with another PuTTY, go to localhost, now this one's going to freeze. You don't see anything on there until I go to exit. An exit out of that. Maybe it's still on. Oh, there it goes. It just picked it up right there. So the problem that's going on here is this server is not threaded. So what you would really want to do in a real server is open up a new thread for each client so then it could service multiple client requests at the same time. But I'll leave that as an exercise to the student. So let's close. Server three and go to server four. So here's a simple telnet server. Let's look at the code. And so this one has all the same options, but this one actually has the number guessing game. So this is uh, what I recommend is like the first program that everybody write. I'm just pressing enter here to clear out the the buffer. If I if this was more complex, I'd I'd handle that myself, but uh, display time. So yeah, here's number guessing game. Uh, guess a number from 1 to 100. So I'm going to guess 50. So I actually added the ANSI or VT100 color codes to this. So it says 50 lower, so I'm going to guess 25. lower, guess 12, higher. guess 18. Correct. Four total guesses. So if we look at the code, Then I got like a little module just to function here a number guess. So I'm going to set R to a new random. So I'm going to make this bigger. R to a new random value from 1 to 100. That's what I'm doing right there. I'm going to set the initial guess to negative 1. Then I'm going to set the number of guesses to 0. Then we're going to print out to the client, guess the number from 1 to 100. And remember to put the carriage return... Since we're doing puts in Ruby, that automatically puts the backslash in at the end. Um, I don't think it really matters if you do backslash in, backslash r, backslash r, or backslash in. It just matters that you have them both in there. So we're going to do a loop, and while the guess is not equal to the random number generated, then we're going to accept input from the client. So i got my character codes defined here, so we're going to turn that escape character 27 into a character turn the int 27 into a character. Then we're gonna add the color code, the square bracket, then either a one or a zero for the brightness value, then semicolon, then the foreground color value from 30 to 37, whatever it was, and then the background color, semicolon the background color, which is 40 to 47, and then an M. So that's gonna give us our color code. And then, so here is where if you guess something, then we're gonna write out to the client, the color, then the guess value, and then the second color, and then either lower if it's lower, or in the next else if, higher if it's higher. Then if the guess equaled the random value, then we're gonna put out this third color correct, then we're gonna do carriage return line feed, then in the other color, we want to say the total number of guesses right there, and then at the end we're just going to clear out everything on there. So yeah, that, that's all there is to it for a number guessing game using Telnet. And what's cool is you could me running this right now. Somebody on the internet could play this if they knew if I gave them my IP address and which i think i mentioned on an earlier episode of Nox game design you can get from what's my ip but you have to go into your if you have a cable if you have a cable modem with a router then you got to set up port forwarding so you would tell it for port 23 go to whatever the ip is or whatever system i'm currently running this on so you could actually run this on your system and have somebody on the internet come and connect that may not be the most secure thing I don't think there's really any vulnerabilities to this right here but uh, yeah, if you just want to give it to a friend I mean that that would be cool to try out or if you had a server you could put this on a server and, and run it as well um, but you can get really fancy and write your own authentication mechanisms and all that or you could use one of the telnet software that's already out there um, If you just have web hosting, I don't think you can do this. I think you almost have to have like a, was it, VPS, a virtual private server type thing going on to be able to do this. But yeah, that's it for a Telnet server right there. So I'll mention the tips and mention the, you can actually get the specification for Telnet right here. So if if you really want some reading material, you can go to uh, IETF, .ietf tools.ietf.org, and this is the official standard for Telnet, uh, right here. So if you want some reading material, you can know all the details. A lot of these were under what's called an RFC, Request for Comments. So you can see this was defined in 1983, so this is... Pretty old stuff, but it's pretty cool that you can still use it today. And if you want to get Acid Draw, you can go to acidproductions at acid.org. And I think I actually had to download this from somewhere like uh, Source, not SourceForge. uh, Yeah, SourceForge. But this is a little bit about the creators. I think their download links are broken now. So you can get it from SourceForge or somewhere like that. But you have to run it through DOSBox. If you download this and try to run it on Windows 10, it's not going to work. Yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for August 2020. I really haven't been doing that much game jam. Or I haven't been doing any game jams haven't been doing much game programming, but I was able to create this presentation. It's like one of those things I want to go back and refresh myself on. It brought back a lot of old memories from the 90s about some of the things that I did when I was a teenager playing BBS games and things like that. and brought back a lot of old memories, but you know, I'm kind of taking a break from game development now. Um, I just kind of realized I need to get out and get out into the real world a lot more. And, yeah, just just anyone out there, don't get to the point where you come home from work and you turn on the computer and turn on the TV and sit in front of it until you go to bed. I mean, that and that's, that's not a very good life right there. So, yeah, you got to get out every now and then and enjoy life. It's kind of hard these days, but there's still plenty of the things that... That you can do outside and with other people. I'm trying to get reconnected with a a lot of other people. And things like that. So yeah I haven't been doing much game programming lately. But I do want to do Lunum Dare in October. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to have a kickoff or anything. I might try to set something up. I'll I'll probably post it to the Discord. Yeah everybody out there if you're not on the Discord. You can go to noxgamedesign.org. And it's like the first. Second link at the top. Oh, I'm not sharing that. It's like the second link right here. You can click on Discord, and that'll add you to our Discord channel. Um, Discord. So yeah, I, I really like all the activity. Uh, I try to read everything that everybody posts. Everybody's making some cool, cool games. I know my my thick started working on like a text-based game right here. And Jeffrey was explaining some stuff about mazes. I remember he talked about this in one of our Knox Game Design uh, meetings. And Locke Smith Army is making a little maze game right here, too. And uh, Zombie Huggles. And we've got a new member, Lod, Have Lod Have Mercy, <laughs> in there. So, yeah. Really cool stuff. Definitely recommend everybody checking out the Discord channel if anybody out there wants to talk to us or just hang out or ask any game development questions. A lot of good people in there answering questions and things like that. Yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for August 2020. I plan to do possibly do this again in September. I don't know um there's still topics i want to do i still want to do allegro I still want to do mono game especially converting a game from xbox live any game or xna to mono game because i think that would be very beneficial because i know there's a lot of us out here that have created games for xbox live any games back around 2013 or 2012 and in that in that time frame and those games will no longer run on Windows. So I think it'd be cool to have a guide on how to get those working with mono games. So mono games kind of like the open source equivalent to XNA. So yeah, there's still quite a few topics out there. So I'll try to keep doing this. Uh, I'll just say periodically. I don't know if it'll be every month, but uh, periodically until I have No more game development topics to talk about. So I appreciate everybody watching this. Uh, I'm going to try to keep putting these on YouTube, but I don't know what YouTube's doing anymore. So I may have to find a new place to put the videos. And currently we're on a ton of places. For the audio, you can get us on iTunes. Just look up Knox Game Design or Stitcher or Google Play or Spotify. I think we're also on iHeartRadio and a lot of other ones I've forgotten about already. Yeah, okay. Tune in, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all those good places. So appreciate everyone out there watching the videos. I recommend checking out the videos because they're it's good to listen to this but you can also see a lot more of what i'm showing on the screen if you if you watch the video but the audio is good too to listen to i think so till next time thanks everyone for listening and watching